The following message by Shane Sowers is brought to you by Central Baptist Church, Aurora, Colorado. www.cbcaurora.com Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. While you're turning there, in a survey conducted by NPR and the Marist poll last November, almost half of all American adults plan to make New Year's resolutions. How many of y'all got New Year's resolutions coming up? <laughs> they said leading the pack was the intent on exercising more. So that's the number one New Year's resolution that we have in America every single year is the resolution that we're going to exercise and we're going to work out more. The, the analysis from Strava, which is a, an app, an exercise app that you get on your phone, um, the analysis from Strava found that we're most likely to give up as early as mid-January. Wow, two weeks? Two weeks in and we give up on our resolutions already. That, that seems to be kind of the case. City Lab decided to look at the data from Google and a fitness trade association along with information collected from smartphones by Strava and Foursquare. And as you might expect, we start off strong. Google tends to show that searches for topics related to exercise and weight loss spike right around January 1st each year. So all the searches for the Peloton bikes and, and gym memberships and 24-hour fitness and what's the rate and all that kind of stuff, that, that goes up uh, about the 1st of January every year. Uh, did you know this, that 11% of all gym memberships for the year happen in January? So memberships for the entire year are sold in January greater than any other month the year that year. So when do we, let's say, fall off the wagon? <laughs> Strava says it's the third Thursday of January. The third Thursday, they can actually pinpoint the time everybody gives up. The third Thursday of January is when activities dip below the four-week average of activity. Foursquare looks at when there is the first uptick in fast food eating. <laughs> um, and the first downtick in exercise activity. Uh, and they say that that actually happens on the third Thursday of January. So it, that seems to be like the day. The third Thursday of January where everything kind of falls apart. The forecast for this year places that day, uh, February 9th. Is that right? No, it's not, that's not the ninth. I put, I put that date wrong. Anyway, um, on the second Saturday of the month, 40 days into the new year. So uh, I got the dates messed up, but um, you guys get the idea of the study that we have. So it's a funny and it's an interesting story as to the power, or should I say the lack of power, of the human will when it comes to these types of things. There are, of course, exceptions to the trend. There are people that last and people that keep it, but what they're finding is that the majority of our resolutions don't last more than a month. That's essentially what they're saying. But is this sermon a sermon about this year's New Year's resolution for us? No. But this is a great example of what it's like when we're convicted and we make resolutions in our heart to obey God and to be good Christians and make resolutions that we're not going to do those sins anymore. 
What happens when we make these resolutions? When we say, I'm going to be a better Christian. I, I, Pastor Sermon was so good. I'm, I'm so convicted. You know what? I'm going to do a good job. I'm going to be a good Christian from now on. How many of those resolutions last more than a month? How many of those resolutions last more than a week? How many of those resolutions last at least until Monday morning? Convicted, and it happens. The reality is, is that we don't progress. Now, again, there's exceptions to the rule, but for the most of us, it, we don't progress and we can't stop the sins we committed to stop doing. We fall back to where we were. Why do we fail? Why do we continue to, and for lack of a better term, backslide? Why do we always continue to find ourselves back to the place where we were? Because here's, here's the issue. We honestly think that sanctification, obedience, and holiness has to do with our commitment and our effort. That's why. Let's just be honest today. This is going to probably blow some of your minds today. This is going to actually go against what many of us have been taught probably our whole lives. We think that sanctification, obedience, and holiness has to do with our commitment and our effort. If that's not happening, it's because you're not trying hard enough. And so the pastor gets up on Sunday and I do everything that I can to encourage you, to motivate you so that you can start this next week with new energy, new motivation, and you will try harder on Monday. That's what happens. All we got to do is try harder. Some might think that this is a reach. Shane, I don't know, man. He seemed like this, this, I don't know, that seems like kind of a reach. But modern evangelicalism today is inundated with our modern false and borderline heretical wolves that are called, and these people are the bane of my existence, they're called church consultants. <laughs> I guarantee there's a, a special place in hell for church consultants. I'm serious. Self-help gurus, these self-help guys, they're the bane of my existence. And here it is, the popular term, life coaches. I, I mean, literally, I have to ask the Lord for forgiveness every time I have conversations with life coaches because all I want to do is reach through the phone and choke their neck. I, I mean, ugh. Like you want to, like I'd be having a great day. All you got to do is just say the word. Just walk by me and just say, hey, Shane, life coaching. And it'll just, that'll be it. That's it. I'll totally fall into the flesh and lose my salvation. Seriously. The reason why this stuff is really difficult is this is actually proving the point that I am trying to make right now. Because all of these institutions, all of these quote-unquote ministries, all these, these, these uh, whatever they're called, they essentially teach that you'll do better if you try harder. All of that is. So much of what we hear today from the pulpit, from the books that we read, all the things that we're getting is you will do better if you try harder. 
All you got to do is just do a better job. Try harder. Push a little harder. Just try to motivate yourself to try to be a better person, to be a better you. Or, use, or, or they use a method developed over the years to lessen the standard to make it easier for you to accomplish. Happens all the time. Prosperity gospel preachers continue to tell you that you will be blessed if you do what? Try harder. Do a better job. Be a better Christian. Do a better job at obedience, and God will bless you. But what we find is we don't. In reality, we try harder, but every time we take a step forward, we end up taking two steps back. Let's be honest today. How many of your guys' Goliaths are still standing? They don't go away. Why is this? If you, if you just try harder, you'll do better. Even the gospel today gets distorted. When, you hear, when I hear sometimes a guy's like, hey, I'm going to preach the gospel, and he gives you the gospel, and what the gospel is is a bunch of good advice. Just here's some good, new, good advice for you. Not good news, good advice for you. And all this advice is, if you do better, you'll be better. Try harder, try harder, try harder. And we fail to do and continue to do. And, and, and understand this, that from the very beginning, God has made this point very, very clear. If you remember in Deuteronomy, he gives the, the people of God a warning. He says, beware, beware, lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this success. Beware, family, beware that you ever get to a place where you start to believe that all the good things that you do are done in your strength and by your hand. God's saying, no, man, no way do I want my people saying those types of things. Because the truth of the gospel today, family, is that Jesus didn't come to make good people better. Jesus came to make dead people live. We were dead, family. Dead people can't try harder. I, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong. Some of you might have seen things on Google where you've noticed that, or, you know, that dead people try harder. I, I haven't seen that, but maybe. Um, before a dead person can do anything, they must be made alive again. And when we are made alive again, we not only will to do God's will, but he gives us the power to do his will. So the final prerequisite for godly living. So we've been talking about these prerequisites that we have to believe for godly living. If you remember point number one, you can't live a godly life no matter how hard you try. Number one, if you don't want to. If you don't want to obey God, you're never going to obey God. You got to want to. Okay, that's number one. Number two, you have to believe that you are forgiven and reconciled to God. If you don't believe that you are forgiven and reconciled to God, every good work that you do is going to be trying to win his approval and essentially calling God a liar. You can't do it. Number three, you have to believe that you're going to have an eternal future 
with a happy eternal future with the Lord. You have to believe that. It's not do good work so that you have a happy future with the Lord. No, you have to believe that you already have a happy future with the Lord before you will do anything truly obedient, lest you call God a liar. And, number, and the second part about that is lest you humiliate him by making him, making him think that you think that the works that we do are good enough to win his approval. No way, not even close. Okay, and so today is the last one. We have got to understand that we will never be godly, we will never truly be obedient if God doesn't cause us to be that. If God doesn't do it, we will never do it. Okay, so just, just bear with me. Uh, today we're talking about to will and to do. Okay, so let's take a look at it. Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. God is going to work in us both to will and to do of his good pleasure. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. I pray that your word will penetrate our hearts today. Let it be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you're taking notes, the first thing we're going to look at today is the real nature of what we understand as original sin, or some of your translation will refer to it as our sin nature. The second point is the reality of our continued ignorance of the real nature of the law and why we cannot meet the requirement. And third, we shall uncover the reality of the need of the Lord to supernaturally enable us to meet the requirements of true obedience to the Lord only because of the work that Christ had done for us. So our thesis statement today is this, and so if you don't know what that is, our thesis statement is me trying to summarize the entire sermon in one sentence. Though sin and the pattern of this world cause us to be deceived by the deceiving pattern of the world, it is the power of the Holy Spirit and the truth of Scripture that will show us and empower us to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. So point number one, we want to talk about this thing called original sin. I'm sure that at some point in your life as a Christian, you heard the term original sin. That came out, you heard it, okay? So many definitions, but I love uh, Richard Phillips' definition here. He, he defines original sin as, original sin is the term that defines the nature of mankind's sinful condition because of Adam's fall. He says it teaches us that all people are corrupted. It's super important that we hear that word corrupted in the definition of original sin. When you start hearing things like mistakes, brokenness, fallenness, all of that stuff, it gives the idea that we're still kind of okay. The word corruption needs to be there, right? Because, hey, hey, Phil, when it comes to a hard disk that's corrupted, what do you do with it? You toss it. In order for you to fix a corrupted hard disk, you got to just get a new one. 
There's no fixing it. So does any idea that it's, it's fixable, all of this stuff, we got to get rid of that idea. So he says, it teaches that all people are corrupted by Adam's sin through natural generation, by which together with Adam's imputed condemnation, we all enter the world guilty before God. Original sin shows us that we sin because we are sinners. That's super important. We sin because we're sinners. There is a lot of stuff out there that's saying that we are sinners because we sinned. Now, that really, this dichotomy is very, very important. We sin because we're sinners. We are not sinners because we sin, okay? So, um, entering this world with a corrupt nature and without hope apart from the saving grace of God in the gospel. So, for many of us, we will acknowledge the word original sin. Hey, do you believe in original sin? Yes, we will all acknowledge that. But we still don't like today the implications of what that means because to truly understand and believe what's taught in original sin goes against everything that we are conditioned to by our culture. It goes against the culture. It totally does. That's, this is the reason why this is such a difficult thing for us today. But what we find is it's very detrimental as to how it is that we live our lives as Christians. The meaning in our minds, we acknowledge the doctrine of original sin. We acknowledge the doctrine of the sin nature. We believe that we have a sin nature. But in our life and our practice, we don't practice it. We don't believe it. One of our biggest problems is the reality that we are actually worse and more corrupt than we think we are. That's the issue. I can't tell you how many times I'll have conversations with that where you really, when you get to the bottom of it, for a lot of us, our struggle is we don't think that we're as bad as you know, the Bible may say. We're, we, we feel like we're pretty good. I mean, just sometimes just to lay it out there, forget all the, the Christianese and all the quote-unquote doctrinal, doctrinal talk. Sometimes I'll talk to people and ask them why they believe that they're going to go to heaven, and you know what the response is? I'm a pretty good person. You actually think that you're good enough for God to actually let you in? Yeah? I'm not like those murderers out there. You know, I'm not like all those, those protesters out there. You know, I'm not these bad people out, you know, all this stuff. I mean, we're, we're, we're not like that. I'm not like that. I'm not like that, that stuff. So you know what? I just think I'm a pretty good person. We actually think that we're pretty good. We actually think that we're not necessarily guilty before God. We don't think that we're corrupted. We don't think sin is that thing that plunged us into eternal damnation. We think sins are that we commit are mistakes. Hey, come on, it was just a mistake. Come on, no big deal, you know? This is no big deal. But the scriptures make this very, very clear. In Ephesians chapter two, verse one, Ephesians chapter two, verse one, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. Once you were dead, dead, we were dead in our trespasses and our sins. Romans 8, chapter 7 through 9. Romans 8, 7 and 9. I love this passage of Scripture. This, is, this passage of Scripture right here summarizes this whole sermon. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. Not sometimes hostile to God. Always hostile to God. Original sin. Sin nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws and it never will. 
This is the word of God. It never obeyed. It never did. If you think that you obeyed God's law, no. It never obeyed God's laws, and it never will. That is why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. There it is. You can't ever please God. Nothing. Uh, 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 46, 1 Kings 8, 46. If they sin against you, and who has never sinned? This is Solomon talking. You might become angry with them and let their enemies conquer them and take them captive to their land far away or near. John chapter 8, verse 34, John 8, 34. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave of sin. But, but come on, Shane. I mean, when we, were, when we were little babies, man, we were innocent. Psalm 51.5, Psalm 51.5. For I was born a sinner from the moment my mother conceived me. Oh, come on, Shane. That's just one scripture. You can't base a doctrine on just one scripture. Psalm 58.3. These wicked people are born sinners. Even from birth, they have lied and gone their own way. Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6. Isaiah 64, 6. We are all infected and impure with sin. When we display our righteous deeds, they are nothing but filthy rags. Like autumn leaves, we wither and fall, and our sins sweep us away like the wind. Jeremiah 17, 9. Jeremiah 17, 9. The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. Genesis 6, 5. The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth, and he saw that every Everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. Man, the Bible is actually painting a different picture, isn't it? Ephesians chapter 2, 3, Ephesians 2, 3, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of man. So what is it saying here? That we are sinful by nature. We were born this way. We are infected. We are corrupted. It goes deep down all the way through the bone into our marrow. It's there. Sin is there. And then people are like, well, Shane, you know, that's great. You know, the scripture says that, but, you know, I don't see original sin in the sin nature playing out in real life. Oh, absolutely it does. Have you ever had children? Like I said, the number one proof outside of scripture for sin nature is children. Have you ever had to teach, Mike, have you ever had to teach your daughters how to be bad? You don't have to teach children to be bad. It's absolutely phenomenal. They know how to do it. And you know what? They're good at it too, man. Like, sometimes I see kids do things that's bad, and I just kind of wonder, like, who taught you how to do that? Obviously, nobody taught them, but man, that's brilliant. That's absolutely brilliant. You could teach a class on this. By nature, you don't have to teach people to be bad. We're just naturally able to do it. It's natural in us. Now, when we became Christians, this is one of those things that, we should, have, that should have become apparently true. Not only do we not have the ability to do what we're supposed to do, 
we don't even have the heart or, to, or the desire to do what we need to do. But even if we did, one of the worst atrocities that's still lingering in the church, bringing about even more confusion when it comes to this truth, is this thing called the Christian self-esteem movement. Hey, Jack, can you stop that? <laughs> you, you know, you know when, I, when I ask Jack to stop the camera, you know something juicy is coming. Yeah, that's how you all know. So it's like, oh, here we go, Pastor Shane. He's going to let, let us into the secret compartment. Yeah, we're going to let you into the secret compartment. This Christian self-esteem movement has greatly affected the truth of our flesh. Okay? And this is, this is there. Have you, do you guys remember, do you know where it really started, the Christian self-esteem movement? It really, the reason why I tell them to turn it off. Do you guys remember the hour of power on TV? Robert Schuller and all that. that. That's the beginnings of it. I, I'm, I, I'm sorry, I hate to say it, but man, Schuller was a huge proponent. Kennedy was a huge proponent. These guys were all huge proponents of the Christian self-esteem movement and teaching us how positive thinking and, and the words that we speak have got to be positive and all this stuff. Now, okay, you can turn it back on. Now, we don't they tell us that we're not to think or not to say anything negative about ourselves or say anything negative about others. Now, this is a greatly distorting the view of original sin and the biblical view of our sin nature. It's distorting it. Why? Because we're finding that we're not being truthful and we're not being honest when we move into this realm. See, and here's the thing about the Christian self-esteem movement that, that many people don't understand. Do you know where the self-esteem movement actually came from? It came from a psychologist by the name of Nathaniel Brandon, who, together with Alan Greenspan, you guys know that name, were disciples of an atheistic philosopher by the name of Ayn Rand. She did not believe in God, but her philosophy, she, she championed what was essentially known as enlightened selfishness. Essentially, we have to be selfish, but we have to be enlightened in our self-centeredness. And you find this in her book, The Fountainhead, or the book Atlas Shrugged, which you probably read in high school at some point. It is our, consist, our constant and desperate attempt to find what we consider and what we define as good and upright in ourselves, in our own eyes. This is why Christian leaders who champion this atheistic philosophy continue to forcefully tell me, stop calling people sinners, Shane. It's not good for their self-esteem. This is what I'm told. Stop talking about sin. It's not good for their self-esteem. You are abusing your people. You are abusing the people of God by doing this. I remember listening to uh, an interview that happened with the guy I mentioned. <laughs> and uh, the guy that was interviewing him was saying, well, but, you know, we do sin. And he goes, yeah, I, I know. He goes, but, but then he, he says to the interviewer, he goes, do you call people sinners? And he goes, yeah, because the Bible calls people sinners. And he says, well, you know what? Stop it. It's not good for their self-esteem. It's not good for them. They're not going to be motivated to do what it is that they need to do. Ah, you see? Essentially, the self-esteem movement is a way to get people to try harder. 
That's essentially what Christianity has become, a method to help us try harder to be better people so God will see us and bless us for our efforts. Do you see how sneaky this stuff is and what is essentially happening? This is the reason why I get so bent out of shape. This is what it's like, man, Shane, it's just, he's just bent out of shape with all these life coaching dudes. And he's just, you know, he's, he's telling people from the pulpit that he, tech, he, he, honestly, he wants to murder these guys. I mean, all this, he's just, just bent out of shape for all of this stuff. And for what? For this. This is the reason. Because now, watch what happens. Watch what happens. Okay, let me, let me finish this part here. The truth, see, the thing is, is like they say, um, this, is not what the, the, this is not true if you're only to speak positively. They tell you, you only speak positively about yourself, you only speak positively about others. There was an actual, uh, on TV I was watching, where one of these um, self-esteem guys was talking about practices that you need to do in the morning. So in the morning, when you, when you get up and you brush your teeth, he goes, take a couple of seconds to look at yourself in the mirror and say, you are a great, upstanding, outstanding individual. You really are a good person. And then you start to speak these things to yourself in the mirror. And you don't speak anything negative. You only say positive things. And that's the practice that you need to do. But the Bible declares that we don't speak and don't think on positive things. What does the Bible tell us to think on? Truth. Truthful things. That's what we think. Oh, don't, don't, don't say anything negative. No, I need to say what's truthful. Truthful. That's what we speak. We speak what's true. And I tell you what, the truth is, um, yes, we are sinners. But you know what else is true? that there's salvation for us in Christ. And let me tell you that that is way better than lying to yourself in the mirror. Way better. So our error is that we think that we can do good and truly obey in our own strength and our own ability and do what is required because we are basically good. That is the thing in our culture today. We think that people are basically good. When the Bible tells us that we are all by nature evil. I know we don't like hearing this. I know, man, Shane, this is, you know, some of you are even, maybe even feeling that, like, why can't you just be positive? That's the effect of the self-esteem movement. It, it affects us so much that we don't even want to hear the truth anymore. This is why it's very difficult. The reason we believe that we can, this is the reason why we believe that we can be successful if we try harder. But that's not what the Bible tells us. That's not what we get from Scripture. This is why I'm not popular. <laughs> but there is another piece to this. You know, another reason why we think that we can be successful by trying harder? Because we actually think that it's easy. What? People think that it's actually easy to obey the Lord? Yeah, people actually think that it's easy to obey the Lord. Walter Marshall, he says this, if you think obeying the law is easy, you know neither the law nor yourself. It's easy to think 
to fight, or is it easy to think to fight against principalities, power, spiritual forces, and evil in heavenly places? See, this isn't an unusual thing. The rich young ruler actually made this point in Mark chapter 10, verse 17 to 20. Mark 17 to 20, watch what happens. Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem. A man came running up to him, knelt down and asked, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked, only one is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed all of these commandments since I was young. What is he saying? Dr. Kim Riddlebarger, he, I love the way he says it. Essentially what he's saying, he's saying that the law of God is child's play. I've been doing this since I was a kid, man. I've been doing this forever. The rich young ruler is essentially saying that, hey, I've done all this stuff. I've kept it since I was young, man. This is child's play. I've been doing it. We essentially think that keeping the law of God is easy. Even the apostle Paul made it clear as to how the law increases coveting. When he desires to do good, evil is right there with him. As Christians, the goal is not to rid ourselves of bad habits. We must put to death the deeds of the flesh. We have got to kill it. And if you've been a Christian for a while, you know that is not easy to do if we're being honest with ourselves. It's not easy to kill Goliath, is it? And we think we can meet the standard of a holy transcendent God. All we gotta do is try harder. Let me tell you, you can try your best. You can even succeed at doing your best and it's still not going to be enough. Well, we even have that reality here in, this, in the world, right? We have this idea in the world. No matter how much I practice, no matter how much I try, no matter how many years I practice uh, at basketball, I will probably never be able to play center for the Los Angeles Lakers. No matter how hard I try, I'll probably never do it. This, this is my new favorite. No matter how much I practice, no matter how hard I train, no matter how hard I try, no matter how much mat time I'd have with jujitsu, no, no matter how many hours of Muay Thai kickboxing I do, no matter how much protein shakes I drink, no it does not matter how many ginkgo biloba pills I consume, I will never, ever, ever beat a grizzly bear in hand-to-hand -hand combat. Maybe a gorilla, but not a grizzly bear. <laughs> Actually, the gorilla would probably be worse. No matter how much I practice, no matter, practice, no matter how much I try, I'm never gonna that's never going to happen. See, we deceive ourselves into thinking that that's all it is. We deceive our thinking in, in thinking that obeying God, sanctification, all this stuff is as easy as flipping the light switch on and off. Like the sin is on, I just, all I got to do is flip it off. The only reason why I'm not, being, I'm not able to obey God is because I just haven't made the choice to. All I gotta do is wake up one morning, decide I wanna be good, and I'm good. 
We think that we can do it whenever we feel like it. We feel like we can obey God whenever we feel like it. We think it's all in our control. The real deception is this kind of thinking in the first place. How many times have we promised and made commitments and our, our, our resolutions to God to do these things and we fail every single time? I mean, I'll counsel with young people, and this is a common thing I get with young people. Essentially, what they're saying is, hey, Shane, you know what? Can you just back off just for a little while? I just want to sin. I want to live life. I want to I do all the stuff. I want to party. I want to have a good time. And then you know what? When I get older, then I'll get my life straight. I'll go to church. You know, I'll come listen to you preach. You know, and I'll start trying to obey God. And the way they communicate that to me, it's as if godliness, sanctification, all that kind of stuff is just something that they just got to make the choice to do. And I'm like, wow, you guys really think it's that easy. That just one day you just make the decision to do it. Is that how little you think of the law of God? That it's just that easy? You think that you're actually doing it even if you think that you're doing it? I mean, do you think that you can really do that? I mean, Here's the thing, what makes you think that you can? Because we essentially believe that it's easy. Hey, you know what, all I gotta do, don't drink, don't smoke, don't chew, don't go out with girls that do. Right? That's all you gotta do. And if it gets really bad, I just get rid of my TV and I disconnect my internet and I'm going good. See, we think it's that easy. We think sanctification and godly living is that easy. Well, let me tell you something. Drinking, smoking, chew, girls that do, get rid of the TV, get rid of the internet. Is that going to get rid of the hard ones? What do you mean by hard ones? I'm talking about greed. I'm talking about coveting. I'm talking about lust. I'm talking about the passions, the sinful things that happens deep down inside of us. Well, but if I get rid of the, the violent video games, if I get rid of TV, if I get rid of Fox News, if I get rid of all that stuff, then I won't be an angry person. Well, guess what? Cain killed Abel, and if I'm, if I'm understanding it right, there wasn't Fox News, there wasn't video games, and there wasn't TV back then. Why? Because it's deep down inside. What are you going to do about that? Oh, we think it's easy. We think it's child's play. What about the hard ones? But it's even more. Even when we think we actually did obey God, you realize that we actually didn't? We don't realize the huge and enormous standard of what it is to truly be obedient, to stand by what a, what a divine transcendent God would require. Sure, you did it. You know, hey, Shane, come on, man, give me a break. I, was, I, I obeyed God today, man, I prayed. I prayed today. Man, I woke up early in the morning. I made sure I did. I set the alarm. You know, I had my automatic coffee maker make my coffee. I got up. I opened up my Bible, read some stuff, and I drank my coffee, and I prayed. I actually prayed. I did it, man. I was obedient. Proverbs chapter 28, verse 9. God detests the prayers of a person who ignores the law. Just because you didn't doesn't mean, just because you did it doesn't mean you actually did it. In all actuality, thinking that you did might actually be even worse. It, it might have actually been better for you to have not prayed, because at least it was just obedient. But be praying this way, 
you're offending God now in actually thinking that God is okay with this. Seriously. Did you pray like the tax collector or did you pray like the Pharisee? Just because you prayed doesn't mean you actually did it. It matters how you pray. It matters how you worship. It matters why you come to church. If you're coming because you believe that simple church attendance is all you need to do, then you have offended the living God in thinking that your self-centered, ill-motivated, ignorant, disinterested church attendance is acceptable to the living God. It might have actually been better if you'd have just stayed home. You see that? That's the deception that we think we did, but we actually didn't. What if someone, let me ask you, this is a true story. Okay, this is a true story. What if someone on your wedding day gives you a wedding present and you open up the wedding present and you find that it is a used microwave? You open it up and there's food stuck in there and then all the white walls are all discolored stained with soup splatter and then you open it and it kind of smells and then you're just kind of like just out of just out of sheer morbid curiosity does it even work and then you plug it in and nothing comes on and it doesn't even work now they give you this as now this is true this actually happened to a friend of mine then what happened is is that it actually offended his wife that you would think that this is okay. And so he says, dude, why did you do that? Was this a joke? I mean, come on, seriously, you weren't actually serious about this. Then the guy who gave the gift was offended. Like, this is a gift. I gave you guys this is a gift and now you don't like it. Now you're offending me. (laughs) Do you guys realize that that's essentially what we're doing when we present God with our good gifts, expecting him to be happy with it? Wow, Shane, for real? You're really going to go down that road? Yeah, we're really going to go down that road. Caked on food, and this is it. And then he gets angry because he didn't like the gift that they gave him. Isn't that like how we are? God, why are you upset with my obedience? Man, I went to church every single week, and now you're threatening me with hell? I, I, I read my Bible. I prayed. I did all this stuff. I did all of these things for you. Why can't you just be happy with me? It was a sacrifice I made for you. Isn't that what you wanted? No, because the Bible says obedience is better than sacrifice. We deceive ourselves into thinking that we're actually obedient when we're not. Whew. See, I know this is probably like ruining some of, you know, stuff that we've learned over the years. But we just got to be honest. I'm being honest with us, our, with us today. A Puritan once wrote, um, hey Donna, a Puritan once wrote, it's easier to move a mountain than it is to obey God. Unless God is at work in your heart. So this is, the, this is the, the enormity of obedience, the enormity of this. So if we really understand that, then we realize, hey, well, Shane, if it's impossible for us to do it in our own strength, then we're doomed. 
No, we're not. Because we can truly be obedient if it's God causing us to will and to do of his good pleasure. Can God move mountains? You better believe he can. If God can move a mountain, I guarantee you, he can cause us to be obedient to him. We need God to give us the strength to obey. It's futile. You're not going to do it. You're not going to be able to do it on your own. This is why all the life coaching that you get, stop wasting your money. All of these guys are trying to get you to do methods and methodologies and ideologies and all of these things to get you to try harder so that you can accomplish something that the Bible is making very clear you cannot do on your own. So you know what you do? This might be a new thing for you to hear today in our modern culture. If you can't do it, don't go to other people. Don't go to self-help. Don't go to the, the life coach. Don't, don't go to the, the TV. Don't go to the internet. Don't. If you need help, here's something new. Try going to God. <laughs> Let's try going to the Lord and asking him for help. Because there's no other way. There's no way you can do it. If we're not able to live a godly life of active and passive obedience to the Lord, don't seek out new revelations and new methods. Go to the Lord. Ask Jesus to fill us with the Spirit of God. And when you, fill, or when you are filled with the Spirit of God, and the Spirit is working in you, man, you can do great exploits. And we have seen this throughout Scripture time and time again. I mean, did we not, did we not hear that? Did we not see that? Hey, you know what? I think that I want you to fight this battle, but I think you got too many soldiers. Remember that? You got too many soldiers. Why don't you get rid of, why don't you get rid of some more of those, those guys? Because I don't want you guys thinking at all, that you guys went out there and fought this battle and think you did it on your own. Matter of fact, you still got too much. I want you guys to go out there and fight a billion people with 300 soldiers. God doesn't want us to see that. God doesn't want us to be that way. Beware if you ever get into a place where you feel like your success was done because of your efforts and your talents. Beware if you think that. He will cause us to will and to do of his good pleasure. He will make sure that we know that we did it and it was only because of him. Well, I don't know, Shane, man. That's not true. We can do lots on our own. Oh, really? Some of us may be sitting here going, I don't know, Shane. I mean, I think you, you, you know, the COVID sickness got to your brain. I don't think you're... I don't think you're making any sense today. Well, I'm not talking me. I'm talking Jesus. John chapter 15, verse 5. John chapter 15, verse 5. Yes, I am the vine. You are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. And here's the key verse. For apart from me, you can do nothing. There it is. Jesus is telling us right there, 
Apart from me, you can do nothing. Again, if all of this stuff is blowing up your theology, what you've had and learned over the years, I get it. But I'm just asking, hang with me. Trust me. Give me a call this week. I'll help you through it. Okay? You know, don't, don't, don't talk to me after service today. Um, uh, I don't know if I'm, you know, contagious still, but <laughs> I'm not contagious, but I just don't want to give anything. Um, hang with me. Call me this week. It's easier to talk to me during the week. Hang with me. Trust me. This is not my opinions. This is not my discoveries. This is the word of the Lord. And just trust your pastor. You know, uh, Candace and Phil, we joke about this all the time. Candace and Phil, they want to create a doctrine called just listen to Shane. They think that that should be a doctrinal category. If you ask them, all the times I gave them, I told them what to do and they didn't do it, their lives were ruined. All the good stuff that's happening to them because they finally listened. <laughs> but honestly, I say that not because it's my ideology, because all I'm giving you guys is scripture. That's the only place, you know me, that's the only place where I believe you can find truth. That's the only thing that's worth hearing. That's the only thing that's worth noting. And that's the thing, the word of God is the thing that Christians over centuries have even died for. It's worth giving up your life for. You're trapped on an island and you'll die if you stay there. That's what the law tells you. The law says if you stay on this island, you're going to die. The law tells you that you need to get to that island over there. If you want to live, you got to get to that island over there. You stay on the island that you're on, you're going to die. If you want to live, you got to get to that island over there. Then all you're thinking is, how can I get there? It's really far. I can barely see the island over there. That's really far. How am I supposed to get there? See, the law is only telling us the reality and the standard, but it's not going to get us to the other island, is it? It's just telling us to do it. Keeping the law is not going to get us to where we need to be. It's not going to get us to the island. It doesn't matter your efforts. It doesn't matter. I don't care how good of a swimmer you are. I was one of my good pastor friends. He came up with this illustration. I thought it was genius. He says there were, they were four guys that were in a boat. They got to the middle of the Pacific Ocean. And he says, and the boat sank. And all four of them were treading water in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. And they're just like, well, we need to get to California. So they all start swimming to California. Then an argument breaks out between the four of them, between two guys, arguing who's the better swimmer. I can swim better. I can swim faster. I, I, I won awards, man, when I was in high school and we're swimming and we're swimming. I could, I'm the faster swimmer. No, you ain't the faster swimmer. I swam in college. You know, I did all this stuff. And an argument breaks out. And finally, one guy goes, hey, 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 hey. I don't care. It doesn't matter which one of you guys is the better swimmer. We are all going to die. It's like a class. Everybody failed. And we're arguing which one of us has the better F.
That's the nature of the law. It tells us the reality, but it cannot save us from the consequence. And what is the consequence? What is the reality? What is the law telling us? That all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. No one is righteous. No, not one. There is no one on earth who always does good and never sins. We are all by nature children of wrath. The great commandment is wrongly taught that loving God and loving your neighbor makes it easier for us to keep. No, the law of God the great commandment makes it easy, yes, but not easy for us to keep. It makes it easier for us to realize that we don't keep it. Come on, let's be honest. It makes it more easy that, to show us that we don't keep it. And there's nothing we can do about it. Nothing we could do. Nothing that we could offer the Lord that would take away the curse of the law and the punishment of sin. Nothing we could offer could make up for it. On our own, we are doomed. We are not getting off the island. And then guess what? Then we hear the best news of all. Somebody tells us that somebody named the evangelist, that someone named pastor tells us the best news of all. You know what the news is? There is a boat over there and not just a boat, but a boat that's full of gas and it's really fast. It has more than enough power to get us off the island and get us to the other island. It will enable us to fulfill what the law requires us to do to live. What is that boat called? The boat is called the gospel of Jesus. Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures and he was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. He came to seek and save that which was lost. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners. He became sin who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. All who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Family, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. Confess your sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's the boat. That's going to get us to the other island. It's not going to be our efforts. It's not going to be your swimming ability. It's going to be by the power of our Lord Jesus Christ. Not only will he give us the will and power to do his will, he will ensure that our life and our life more abundant comes to us. Why? Because the scriptures also make another promise. Not only will he give us the will and the ability to do his will, he who began a good work in you, he will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It never, it never is upon us. And thank God it's not upon us. Because I tell you what, if God left it up to us, we would fail. Totally would. So rejoice. Our God is our Savior. He is Christ the Lord. He will keep us and keep our resolutions that we make for the Lord. Let's pray. Thank you for listening. And may the Lord bless you and keep you. For more information about Central Baptist Church, go to www.cbcaurora.com.